Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, you've wandered on to the VUC, a weekly conference produced by IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from Onsip.com. You can get a URL that people can click to call you at Onsip.com slash GetOnsip. Speaking of SIP, we use the best PSTN and SIP conference bridge in the world, ZipDX.com. Our website at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. And thanks to Voxbone for our world local rate dial-ins. Going to uh, briefly introduce and welcome Ryan, who we met through Jamie King the other day. Ryan, welcome to the VUC. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And we're glad to have you. And we're going to be talking about yours. You can go check this out and get an invite at some point by going to yours.network today. Uh, On another day, that may change. But we're going to get the full history from Ryan. And Ryan, here's the thing I'm going to spring on you, because what we do is we ask people who are our guests to talk about how they got into... uh, technology in general. And you mentioned something about physics a few minutes ago, but we're happy to hear a life story, a shortened version of your short life story before we talk about yours. Can we do that? Sure, absolutely. I think that I think, I think it's, it's such a cool, cool question. question. And I, I have my own, you know, sort of, it's sort of similar to other tech people because I've been involved in technology for so long. It's a really important part of my life. Um, so my story, how I got involved in technology, I, I had a I, I, I think a fairly normal childhood before technology, which is where I, I remember like, uh, you know, riding my bicycle and playing hockey outdoors and stuff like that. And then basically everything changed when I just discovered computers. Uh, and two things happened. Uh, one was we got a computer with internet access. We had AOL at my home and I was about 10 years old at that time. Um, and I also got a graphing calculator, uh, TI-80, uh, about the same time. And a TI-80 was, it's the lowest end one. It doesn't have like a port to put data on. It. And I had seen my uh, cousins playing video games on their on their graphing house. And so since I had no way to load video games, I knew that I had to figure out how to program so I could program uh, games on my graphing calculator. Uh, so that was when I was about 10. And so I spent a lot of time learning. I, I remember reading reading the graphing calculator to, to figure out how to program, or sorry, reading the uh, the uh, uh, the manual to the graphing calculator to figure out how to program to make games. And so making games was, and I've, I've talked with a number of other people, they, they share a similar story where there's something very motivating about making games, and, and uh, that was what motivated me to learn how to program. Um, and then the other thing was just the internet. And I remember uh, discovering chat rooms when I was uh, about 12. And I thought it was absolutely mind-blowing and amazing that I could talk with other people in other places all at the same time in a chat room. Because, you know, first of all, in the world in general, that was kind of hard to do. I mean, maybe you could be on a conference call. But I was a kid, and so there was no way to do anything like that. I mean, my whole experience had been just talking with my friends at school or something like that. And so being able to be on a chat room with a bunch of other people from anywhere in the world was just a 
amazing. Um, so I got hooked r- roughly after that. I started becoming very technical and spent a lot of time on my computer and programming. I tried different programming languages. Uh, I eventually got into web design and development and started doing freelance web design and development when I was in high school and college uh, and was able to earn some money. Uh, there's another little story. You guys just cut me off at any point if I'm telling too many uh, stories people aren't interested in. But uh, We're good. I remember I, I learned I needed money when I was in high school. I'm like, so I, gotta, I guess I have to go get a job. So I, I got a job at Walmart because it seemed like the obvious thing to do. I'll just go get a job at Walmart and work at <laughs> earn some money there. <laughs> and uh, what happened was I actually won a web design contest at almost the same time that I got a job at Walmart. And so I quit Walmart two weeks later because I'm like, well, I don't want to work at Walmart anymore if I could earn money on the internet. So I started uh, doing freelance web design development in high school that way. That worked until I was in college. And then uh, I just you know, did a bunch of freelance web design development. When I was in college, I read a book called uh, The Elegant Universe by Brian Greene. And uh, this is all about physics. And it's all about the quest to understand the universe. And I found that book really, really motivating. And I thought, well, I, you know, I had be- become very somewhat, I would say, disenchanted with freelance, you know, work. I didn't really know what I wanted to major in college. And so I, I think I was looking for something like new. And I was very inspired and motivated by this book. And I decided, well, a, a career studying physics sounds like a-, a much better life than doing freelance web design. So I decided, you know, I switched my major in college to physics uh, and math. And I, I started I had a really low GPA up until that point because I was very demotivated. And then my GPA became very high because I was so motivated to study physics and math. And so I did pretty well, graduated college, went to graduate school and studied physics for a while. And I, I like physics a lot. It's a, I, I love studying it. I love learning about it. Um, I love doing research in it. But it's not a very good career choice. And this became really clear the longer I was in graduate school. that like I, So I went to Wash U, uh, which is a pretty good school overall, but it's not the best physics school. And the reputation isn't like stellar. Uh, the, the research I was doing was pretty good, but basically it became really clear that academia was extremely competitive and it was looking like I was going to have a very hard career if I tried to stick it out. So I was sort of looking for alternative. And in 2011, I discovered Bitcoin. And this is sort of, you know, the, another sort of twist in my life where something important happened. I, I read uh, an article about Bitcoin. I remember seeing it on Hacker News. Um, I saw an article about Bitcoin. I think I'd heard about it before, but I ignored it. I assumed it was a startup company. So finally, I bothered to read an article about it in early 2011. And I thought, oh, well, this is amazing. I didn't know this was possible. Decentralized money. So no one controls this. Uh, it's on the internet. You can send it peer to peer. And there's there's no company or government at the middle of it that owns the whole thing. It's just a decentralized network. And I thought that was incredible. And I was sort of skeptical at first. So I started researching it. But the more I researched, the more I thought that it was legitimate, that it was the real deal, that it really actually was decentralized money and that it, that it worked as promised. So for a while, I was just sort of a, a Bitcoin hobbyist while I was in physics graduate school. And uh, in 2013, Bitcoin basically got big enough that I decided I needed to switch my career from physics to Bitcoin. So I left my PhD. I was getting a PhD for six years, which is a pretty long time. I'm ABD. I did I did all the research and I have a, a bunch of notes on things, but I never wrote my thesis. So I don't have a PhD, but I do have a lot of experience in graduate school. So I left to get into Bitcoin. And then again, I'll just keep, I'll keep telling you the story. This is the brief version. I'm trying to leave out some detail. But uh, I, jo- I joined a company called BitPay, uh, which was a, a the uh, it's the largest Bitcoin payment process. And I worked there as an engineer and I wrote a lot of open source software. And so I was able to make like a name for myself in the Bitcoin developer community uh, by working at BitPay. Um, then I had a, a really, really interesting oppor- 
opportunity at Reddit. So Reddit is one of the largest uh, social media companies in the world. Uh, it's hundreds of millions of users, um, and it's pseudonymous. The users are, you know, you, you can just make up your own whatever username you want, um, and it's very popular. Lots of lots of great content on Reddit. I've been a Reddit user for uh, a long time uh, since almost the beginning. And what happened was I just got contacted by a recruiter uh, whose name was Phil, if I remember correctly, to interview at Reddit, and I, I wasn't looking to leave my job at BitPay, but I thought this was an interesting opportunity. Reddit was looking for a cryptocurrency engineer, okay? Now, what even is a cryptocurrency engineer? This was in 2014, about a little over, little over two years ago. Um, cryptocurrency had just sort of become in vogue, and here I am, this open source Bitcoin engineer. People knew me because of some of the uh, software that I wrote. Um, and so they, they needed a cryptocurrency engineer. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Why would Reddit need a cryptocurrency engineer? So I interviewed with the CEO whose name was Ishan. And Ishan sketched out this vision of Reddit as internet. He saw Reddit as this new type of community that's been enabled by the internet uh, to exist outside. You know, in, in history, it was it was common for people to only affiliate with people they were geographic, you know, geographically near. But internet is this global community of many different sub-communities where the people can can find other community members anywhere in the world. Um, and it has its own culture and its own customs. It's like its own little internet land. And there was something missing from internet land, which was money. They needed an economy. There needed to be a, needed to be a way for these people on internet land uh, to pay each other for things. And that just didn't exist on Reddit. Um, so they needed, the, Yishan's vision was to do this with cryptocurrency. If Reddit is a native internet land and cryptocurrency is, is native internet money, then let's put cryptocurrency on Reddit to make its economy possible. So I was totally won over with Yishan's vision and I interviewed with other people at Reddit. And so I decided to join Reddit. And now again, I'm a, I, I, this is going to sound long, but I promise I'm giving the brief version of the story. Uh, there is just a whole bunch of drama that happened at Reddit, uh, which you can look into. It's all public. I, I won't go into it, but there is basically every month there was just something unusual and dramatic happening at the company. And Yishan resigned after I was there for a month and a half. So I reported directly to Yishan. And when when Yishan resigned, it sort of like spelled doom for my position at the company because Yishan was the one driving this whole thing. Uh, and most of the other people at the company didn't even really understand what I was doing there. Um, so my, my position was sort of like, it, it no longer made sense to the company. New leadership took over the company and they decided not to do anything related to cryptocurrency. So I had to leave the company. Um, then I joined another company called BitGo, and I worked on Bitcoin uh, security for a while. Uh, and that was a really good experience for me as an engineer. Uh, but meanwhile, I sort of couldn't let go of this experience at Reddit. Uh, and in the summer of 2015, about a year and a half ago, Reddit was still going through a lot of turbulence. The new CEO ultimately resigned, and a another CEO replaced her. Um, and I wrote an article called Fix Reddit with Bit. And I just like, I was, I, I had to write down this idea while Reddit was in this turbulent mode about how I thought Bitcoin could solve something some of the problems with Reddit. And the idea was basically to bring in monetary incentive uh, to Reddit, uh, the platform, allow people to pay each other for things, and that this would be better than the way it was working. Um, and my article was pretty popular. I don't think it influenced Reddit, the company at all, but I, I built a little following. There were uh, 80 people emailed me after I wrote the article that wanted to help build this thing that I was building. Like, this is a cool idea. I want to help you. Like, well, that's very validating that 80 people would actually find my email address and email me after I wrote this article. I, so I felt like I absolutely had to just see this through and build this thing. So that was summer of 2015. So I decided to leave my job at BitGo and just start working on this. Um, and so I came up with a name. The name was DAT, D-A-T-T. -T. It stood for Decentralize All the Things, uh, which was a meme in the, in the, the Bitcoin world. 
Um, and so with the help of some open source contributors, we just started working on it and building it. And that lasted about, uh, I think about six months. And I decided to get serious about turning it into a business. And so I found a, a co-founder. Uh, there are a bunch of people affiliated with the project, all the contributors and things. And I just started looking for a co-founder. I needed someone who was technical. And I was able to find someone whose name is Clemens Lay. Uh, he's a PhD from Oxford in computer science. And he, he had also created uh, something called Hippori, which was like Reddit, but with Bitcoin. So he, are, he had had the same idea and he was technical. So I interviewed him and a bunch of other people. And Clemens was clearly the exceptional uh, candidate. So we sort of tried working together as co-founders for a business and we got along pretty well. So we decided to just to do it, to go for it and to co-found the business. And around that time, I, I had to come up with a new name for the project because DAT was very, uh, it, was, it, it was easy to explain that name to technical people, but we wanted to reach a mainstream audience and mainstream people didn't get it at all. So I uh, came out with the name Yours. Uh, because if, if it's your content and it's your money, it's yours. It seemed like a good name that was explainable to a, a normal mainstream audience. And qualitatively, when I would explain it to normal people, they seemed to get that name a lot better. So we rebranded, we called it yours, we created a real corporation. Um, and last summer we got in touch with, so a, a guy named Barry Silbert of Digital Currency Group got in touch with us. And what DCG does is they fund people, uh, businesses in the Bitcoin and blockchain space. And so they got in touch with us and, and basically uh, gave us a good deal and uh, so we got some funding. That was just a couple months ago. We just announced it maybe a couple weeks ago. Um, so we're we're angel funded. Um, and uh, and then okay. So then one other thing. So I haven't explained what our product is. Maybe that'll come up later. But uh, Ryan, let me uh, interrupt first for one second yeah. because I'm uh, the question in my mind is probably in others' minds as well. Uh, a lot of people associate Reddit with all kinds of trash talking and you know game uh, gaming, whatever the name of that that whole thing was. There's a, there's yeah. a lot of buzz about Reddit. And I know that Reddit isn't that because I know people who are on there who are like essayists, uh, sociological, very serious stuff. I mean, Reddit is probably the universe. It's probably everything, right? But my question is more, um, wh how? what's the connection with payment and Reddit? Because Reddit, uh, to me, there's a lot of, if we forget about the negative buzz that's around it and people attacking other people and all of that kind of thing, um, I see it as a forum for sure. But wh where does the money come in? This is the one thing I can't connect. Is it okay, why do yeah, people right. need to get what are they being paid for? And this will lead into yours, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. What's the connection with Reddit? Right. Great question. So, you know, when I wrote this article a year ago, Fix Reddit with Bitcoin, there actually is sort of a handful of problems uh, that uh, don't necessarily look related at first glance, but I think are pretty related. Um, you know, first of all, before I criticize Reddit, I actually like Reddit a lot, and I think it does a lot more right than wrong. Um, it, you know, it's I think it's a wonderful platform. I use it myself, so I'm not trying to say that it's it's deeply fundamentally broken or anything like that. But there are just a handful of problems that I think are pretty fixable, uh, either on Reddit itself or just to some type of you know replacement uh, like the project that we're building. Although I, I think that what we're building is actually something a little bit different. I don't think that we're strictly trying to replace Reddit. We're trying to build something. So let me I'll sketch out two problems with Reddit um, that seem very unrelated, but I think are pretty related. Um, one is sort of an issue around free speech, censorship, and trolls on the internet. And so Reddit has dealt with with this realm of problems for its entire history. Because Reddit is pseudonymous, and they, this was sort of a, a, a decision made in the very, very early days, uh, that Reddit allows you to very easily make a new account. You don't even have to have an email address. So you can spin up a new account if you want to at any time. There are good reasons or, or good, good advantages to this. One advantage is that if you need to talk about something where you want to maintain your privacy, like common examples are if you are, um, you know, someone who has, I don't know, some some issue in your, in your private life, uh, like LGBT 
something like that, where imagine you're from a conservative community, but you're gay or something like that. And you need to be able to talk with people privately. Um, Reddit allows you to do that because you can just spin up a new identity really easily and then start talking with people that are like yourself uh, about about that issue without having to compromise your real world identity and, you know, something like that. Um, so that's the good part about a pseudonymous identity. The, the bad part is that um, it's really easy for trolls to make new identities to just, you know, rail on people. Um, so this is a problem, like most people I would say probably don't experience this, but when you do experience it, you realize it's kind of a big problem. And I experienced this myself uh, while I worked at Reddit. I was trolled and it was really, really irritating. And uh, the, the, the problem is basically like, you know, there's, there's, if, if, if everybody is sort of on an equal par, like with, with, with respect to reputation, people can do things like follow you around and post negative things after everything that you say and downvote you and just make your internet life miserable. Uh, and so people actually do this. It's a real issue. It's really annoying. It happens not just on Reddit, it happens on Twitter a lot. Um, and so it's a real issue. Uh, and so this is one of the ways, you know, that Reddit, I think needs to be fixed. They need to find better solutions to this. And they're very well aware of this. It's not easy to find a way to, to solve. So that that's one problem, okay? Um, how do we how do we have a a censorship free platform where people can feel free to say whatever they want to say? And we're not trying to censor political speech or something like that, while at the same time containing this problem of trolls on the internet. So it's difficult to walk that line. So that's one problem. There's a completely different problem that's actually the problem we're trying to, which is uh, what I call the content monetization problem. Um, Reddit is a social media platform that is funded by pr primarily by ads and also something called Reddit Gold. Um, the way ads work on Reddit, it's the same as basically any other media website. Uh, you know, the, the you know, there's they just place ads next to the content, which is uh, relevant to what the viewer's interests are, which you can determine on the basis of what uh, the content is that they're viewing. And the, the thing with Reddit is that users are the ones creating all of the content. Okay? So you might create either a comment that you create, that you post on Reddit. You might write an article that you link to on Reddit, or maybe you're linking somebody else's article. But Reddit, the company, is not the ones like actually creating the content. It's created by the users. But Reddit, the company, is earning all the money, and Reddit, the users, are not earning anything. So there are a lot of content creators on Reddit that use Reddit as a way to get attention, uh, but they don't have a way to monetize their work on Reddit itself. So if you, if you are a big content creator, creator and you develop a big following, you're creating a lot of great content. People love what you're doing. You're creating, say, some movies or audio or text or whatever it is, articles, whatever it is that you're creating. And it's pretty vari varied on Reddit, uh, the, the type of content people create. Uh, there's no way for you to easily monetize what you're doing. Um, but there should be like you're creating all the value. So this is a second problem with Reddit. It's how do we allow and enable the users to monetize the work that they're doing? And it's true for the creators. It's also true for people that moderate communities and curate communities of that sort. So there's no monetization mechanism. So the summary is there are two problems. One is, and there are, maybe there are some other problems, uh, but these are, I think, sort of the big one. Uh, one is walking this line between uh, 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 freedom of speech and also uh, containing trolls. Um, uh, and then problem number two is how do you monetize content? And the reason why these are related is because I think the right way to solve the problem of trolls and freedom of speech is with very thoughtful incentives from uh, monetization. So if you enable and you incentivize people to earn money for doing the right things, uh, then I think that this is one way to address uh, the, the troll problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's you could sketch out a bunch of ideas for how this would work, but I think that, you know, well, well I'll just leave it at that. I think thoughtful incentives can 
can help solve that problem. But we're more focused on the monetization problem uh, first. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it does. And I showed a brief. Actually, we, there's a VUC page on Reddit. Um, it's never gotten any activity per se, but uh, it is. it does exist. Yeah. Uh, a quick, quick comment, comment in there. The, the other thing, thing, of course, which um, payment is related to is um, you have a, a strong sense of identity there. Uh, and so as soon as you start uh, putting cryptocurrency associating that with a profile, then um, it's going to be one that's probably not made up, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a good comment. There's a So, you know, what is identity? And I hate to say it so vague and philosophical like that, but, you know, on Reddit, it is the case that there are some users that manage multiple identities simultaneously and no one even knows it's the same person. So you could manage five different identities. And some of the biggest users of Reddit were actually this way. And Reddit, the company, knew this was the case just on the basis of their IP addresses and things. But this wasn't pu public knowledge. That some power users, some of the top few power users, were actually the same person. Um, so in, if the identities are pseudonymous, there's nothing stopping you from managing multiple identities uh, at the same time, and no one knows it's the same person. And with cryptocurrency, there's nothing stopping you from earning money on one of these you know, user accounts or one of these identities and having no connection to the other one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so the, the, with cryptocurrency, uh, cryptocurrency is, is fairly anonymous. It's not, it's not perfect. Bitcoin is not perfectly anonymous. There's some work on making new ones that are a little bit more anonymous. But I don't think it's, it's necessarily the case that you have to tie your internet identities to any real world identity. Uh, you can keep them separate if you want to. And you can earn money and spend money. Uh, you never have to connect it to your bank account if you don't want to. Um, so this is is now technically possible with cryptocurrency to earn money and spend money with a, a, a pseudonymous internet identity uh, and never connected to your real world uh, identity. So it's just interesting that that's possible. Yeah, Randy, in that quick pause, you know that you're showing the um, the chat, text chat on Periscope. Randy, you've gone. I think Randy, Randy took up and, and uh, went somewhere. Randy <laughs> took up and I was muted. So we're doing really well between us, aren't we? <laughs> I, I managed to miss it, miss the end of that, but I'm, I'm assuming that uh, you uh, you continued on into your little introduction into yours. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, w w what we could do is maybe, uh, you know, so I, I have some questions actually for you guys. Like maybe one way we could phrase this, like, is I could inquire because we were at a at a point where we're trying to figure out um, our uh, basically the right product, and I think you guys are uh, what well, something we would call content creators. You know, you're you're uh, your your podcasts and videos here are a form of content, and we're trying to solve a problem for people like yourself. So I'd be very interested to know, basically, um, you know, I didn't even notice whether this was the case, but do you guys have any monetization of your, uh, you know, of your podcast, uh, and is that something you're interested in? And, and like, you know, what what is the situation there with with monetization? Right. Well, I don't know whether Randy's. I'm bad. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. So I, we, so, yeah, I, we, so you don't sorry, you buy, go ahead, Randy. Yeah, well, I just want to explain that, James, that you probably don't know this, but you do not buy beer, you rent it. And I had a couple of beers, so I had to uh, go away for a second. <gasps> okay, so, um, yeah, well, the, the podcast is not the perfect example, although we could pretend it was. Uh, and the reason it's not is because we have a model that is based on sponsorships, so we don't have to scurry around for uh, for income in that way. Uh, mm -hmm. I was looking at YouTube today, for example, and there's, there's a funny thing about YouTube. YouTube. I don't know if anybody knows this, but if you are not, if you don't have monetization, 
monetization switched on in YouTube, you can't um, embed a live stream for some reason. I don't know why that is. YouTube has many mysteries to it. So I had to switch on monetization on a newer channel that I'm working on that has nothing to do with this. But the point is anyway, um, we tried or I tried uh, putting ads on YouTube uh, for the VUC, for example. And really, I mean, it literally doesn't bring in beer money. Uh, we just don't make it work. Um, as far as the content that we generate, because it's a participatory economy, in my opinion, in other words, we have guests. Um, the second best way to monetize would be to have the guests pay and do like infomercials, which we don't do either. Um, we also, I started a Patreon to see if that was going to do anything, but I have never done anything with it because we would have to be on and do, now it's my turn to talk too long about this, <laughs> but you weren't, you didn't talk too long. We want to hear more about you, uh, but I'm answering your question anyway. So um, on the Patreon aspect, we really, there isn't a private um, premium stuff that we can do because we don't have enough time. Uh, if we had a panel of, you know, major pundits that we're willing to meet every day, then we could do that. So to answer your question, we don't really have content on this level um, that is for sale. On the other hand, yeah. my music is for sale on um, several platforms. And so that's a whole other thing. But I think we should get into uh, if, if there's podcasts, if, if there's a podcast plan, that would be interesting to find out <clears throat> what kind of things you folks have thought of and also any other kind of creations. And also you mentioned cre curation and I'm interested in that as well. So yeah. we could get into, yeah. go ahead, James. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be really keen to, to discuss some, some new, different uses for this technology. So, so for example, taking um, the, there's an echo coming somewhere, yours and embedding it into um, real-time communications network. To give you an example, you could have a, a payment model whereby um, you would be willing to take a call, a voice call or a video call from somebody, but only if they pay you, you know, $5 up front. And then you can have a model whereby you say, well, if I like what you're, what you're saying to me, then I'll give you your $5 back. But if I don't like it, then I keep it. And immediately that, that, that solves the, uh, the spam, spit spam yeah. problem. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a great idea. So, you know, well, there are two things in what you just described. Um, you know, one is this, the product idea of how it would work, which is, you know, someone has to actually pay you to be able to make a call to you. That's a very interesting idea. And that's not really possible with the way that phones currently work. But I mean, you could imagine that it, it should be possible. I mean, why wouldn't that be? It should be possible. Indeed, because my, well, my time, isn't it? My time is right. extremely well, valuable. Well, I would argue that we could probably do that among the people who are involved in this call. It, it would certainly it, be a way to hook it up. It, it already exists. I mean, that's exactly the model that, that you know, um, that the, the sex chat lines and the, the horoscope lines use already. I knew it we'd go like there. It doesn't exist. Oh, yeah, I yeah, knew we'd yeah. go there. And of course well, we have I mean, a and of course, Sorry. we have an experience. I, I did, did mention horoscopes as well, um, and, and I've actually plus, just been on. Don't the don't don't knock it. Those industries have driven innovation on many fronts. For, oh, yeah, that's true. But the problem with, with those traditional models is that they're actually quite difficult to set up. They, it takes time, effort, and money to set up a, a premium rate number, and uh, individuals just don't want to do that. So um, I would like to use yours as a personal thing. It, it's my uh, revenue generation come protection me mechanism and I don't want to have to pay I don't know 30 40% of it to 
some rogue dodgy telco somewhere is going to skim their percentage off. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, so that's, I, I think that's exactly right. So like there are people have, people that make businesses like the, the sex lines you're talking about. And there are, there are many other sort of similar examples. Um, people like if you're creating a real business around this and you're committed to making this business, you'll find a way to make the payments work, but there's really nothing that's very easy. Uh, it's, it's really actually pretty hard to do this. You got to go way out of your way to set up one of these numbers, have people call this number. The product experience is pretty poor. Um, you know, in the age of smartphones, you know, like you can do things on your phone now uh, that are like amazing. The product could work much, 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 much better for both, you know, sort of the, the people that are earning money and the people paying. Um, so I think that's really, you know, it's, it's an important difference. The way our product work is so different. If we were to do, you know, a sex line, and I'm sur- I'm not saying we are, but uh, just for the sake of, you know, of, of conversation, I don't think that's going to be our area of emphasis, but it's easy to understand. Um, you know, you're, a user is paying for a call. Uh, the way it would work on our site would be so much easier than it would work setting up a, a phone. You're already a user. Um, somebody would just set up a call with you. It would be a, it would be like a couple of clicks, right, or a couple of taps on your smartphone. It would be so much easier to start earning money. You don't have to link your bank account or something like that. You could just immediately spend the cryptocurrency. So the 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 barrier to using it both as a as like a money earner and as a money spender would be far, far lower on this than it would be uh, in most other ways. So really, like one way of thinking about it is that it really lowers the barrier, not just for that particular use case, but there are lots of other use cases. Like once you think about just merging content and uh, payments in a, in a, in a platform, uh, it's, you could solve many, many, many different use cases uh, all sort of in one, in one uh, sort of go. Um, so that's really the big picture idea. And the idea of like paying for a phone call is what we would consider consider a specific product idea. And we have like millions of these product ideas. Uh, as soon as you start thinking about how this could work in different industries, uh, it, there's there's a huge uh, number of possibilities. I'll just give you one other example. Maybe I'll give you two, just for the sake of explaining. Uh, so imagine the way it worked with stock photography. Stock photography is where you you need to you need some images because you're creating some type of you know pamphlet or something or a website or whatever. You need some images and you want to pay for them. You don't want to go out and take new images. You're willing to just buy some stock photography for your use case. Well, it would be really cool if the way it worked was so simple that you just see the image that you want to buy and you just click a button that pays ten cents to view and download the full resolution version of the image. Like it should be that easy. And Shutterstock is not bad, but it's not quite that easy. Um, another use case would be something where like a paywall where, you know, in order to, you know, you read an article and you read, say, nine out of 10 paragraphs and you're, you absolutely want to read the last paragraph and you have to pay 10 cents to be able to read the last paragraph. That would be another example of like, once you have payments built in, there are like millions of different product ideas you could do to solve different problems, different use cases, things like that. So our big picture idea is just content plus payment. And then the catch is like, we haven't yet decided which product idea we're actually going to launch first, uh, but all the different products are actually fairly uh, uh, similar at, at a technical level. Once you can build one of these, once you've got all the payments working, building another one is is, is fairly easy. And it, the, the hard part then is like, who's using it? What's the use case? Communities would be very different. But anyway, the... You know your your use case there of, of paying you know for for a phone call is definitely one of like par- it's part of the big picture here like it should be that it should work that way it should be that easy there needs to be a way to integrate payments into things like that so that you can solve problems okay uh, another use case um, an IoT uh, based one you could be paying for information from IoT de- type devices and sensors or even paying for use of an IoT device to do something you need yeah. to I don't know mow your lawn so you pay for a 
a robotic vacuum, not vacuum, a robotic lawnmower to come and do your lawn for you. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Just to, my funny vision of that is that like the lawnmower comes to your home and knocks on your door and you go to your door and says, hey, your your grass looks kind of long. Would you like me to mow it for you? Yeah. And uh, you just, you pay $20 or whatever and then it starts mowing your lawn and then, and then that's it and it leaves. So, another really brilliant use case for you, Tim. Uh, I would be willing to pay to control a bot to attack Tim in the back of well, the... Well, I, I was going to do a variant on that, which is that the, the, the lawnmower is in cahoots with a drone, which goes around looking for grass that's too long. And there so you go. They, they, they get together and and, notice, and, and pick on the, the people who's, who are not meeting the community standards of short enough grass in, in the expensive estates. And, um, no, the drone, spreads, the drone spreads the fertilizer that makes it uh, the grass grow much faster than it normally would, <laughs> or maybe plants weeds. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, guys. This is just sounding like the local sheep farmer is going to have a good time. <laughs> if you just bring around a bunch of sheep, you can do all that. <laughs> you mean goats, I think. But there's no, there's no Bitcoin involved in the sheep. You're not. No, you're I know. The program here, Andy. Uh, sorry. Yeah, there, there is. This is all in JavaScript, though. I, I, I believe so. Presumably, it all runs in the browser. So to, to take the monetization of, of real-time communication, suddenly you've actually got a working model for using WebRTC. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, let me give you a bit of history there, since you guys are interested in WebRTC. Uh, one of the predecessors to our project is something called Streamium. Uh, the way Streamium worked was micropayment, uh, micropayments, Bitcoin micropayments, plus WebRTC video. And Streamium would let you set up a feed, uh, and people would have to pay you as they watched your video with real-time Bitcoin micro. And this actually works. It's still up uh, today. Uh, for a variety of reasons, they didn't have great success and didn't uh, uh, didn't pursue it like you know to the fullest extent. Although I think it I think it has a lot of uh, sort of, uh, they, they probably could have made it work if they had, had wanted to. Uh, but it does work technically and it's a cool product. So that does already exist actually. There's something like that. Didn't, didn't I mean, I, I missed the beginning of this, but but are you, uh, um, I was, um, as anyone who's reading my Twitter feed will, will know, I was on the phone to DHL being charged uh, 7 p.m. minute for being listening to lousy music. Um, so, uh, so I'm not that much of a fan of paying by the minute for things I don't want. But anyway. Um uh, so you're, how precisely wedded to Bitcoin itself is this model? Good question. So I would say we are pretty wedded uh, technically. Um, I would say philosophically what, what we really want to do is we want to make peer-to-peer micropayments possible and, make, and integrate it into this platform. Bitcoin, for a lot of reasons, is just the best option right now. Um, and so we, we sort of, uh, I would say, I, we haven't maybe quite dug ourselves into a hole with Bitcoin. There might be ways we could pivot outside of Bitcoin if we needed to or wanted to for some reason. But I think there are really good reasons to use Bitcoin specifically. Um, if we tried to do this with dollars, if you if you just try to figure out logistically how this would work, you would have some sort of irreducible problems like lag time, getting the payments to people at the end of the day, actually being able to buy something with it would, would be a lot slower. Uh, and the fees would also be a lot higher. So with Bitcoin, we're able to basically make the payments a lot faster with a lot lower fees uh, fundamentally. I, was, I suppose I was not necessarily saying crypto versus conventional currency, but specifically Bitcoin. I mean, there are some, I think there are some philosophical problems with Bitcoin anyway, in terms of being, you know, last time we had a limited money supply was in, what, about 1800? When, you know, when everything was the gold and silver standard and you couldn't, you couldn't create money apart from if you found a silver mine. Um, so, I, and, and, you know, kind of... I, I, well, and even gold, that's not possible. Yeah, gold and silver haven't gone away. They're still there. No, no, no. But 
if you use other things as well. If you look at modern banking, you'll find that it's entirely based around the idea that you can create money from nowhere. Um, and Bitcoin explicitly prevents that. It makes you, it makes the, the, it's impossible to create money beyond the finite number of Bitcoin that exists. And and that that is an intrinsically deflationary system, which I think in the long term, if one actually based one's economy on it, would give you immense amounts of grief in the long term because we stopped having um, a gold based currency for a reason. Yeah. Which, so, yeah, sorry. Sorry, go ahead, Rod. Uh, okay, so I mean, just, just to give like, a, I'll just sort of point out, this could be a, a very, very long conversation, but I'll say two things. One is, uh, I don't think that, you know, it, it is very, you know, it is very common for economists to believe that, uh, you know, uh, an inflationary currency is better than a deflationary currency, but it's also not uncommon for economists to believe the exact opposite. You can find both arguments out there. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I would just, in my personal opinion, and I'm not an economist, so, you know, take my opinion for what it's worth. I don't think there's anything wrong with the deflationary currency. I think it would be just fine. I think when I look at uh, the, the gold standard uh, that, that that occurred for really a very long period of time, various economies use that uh, and, and grew a lot. Uh, the U.S. economy had a gold standard. Uh, throughout, I think, all of the 1800s, and the economy grew remarkably during the 1800s. So the gold standard didn't prevent you know, the economy from growing. And then one other, yeah. I was going to say that's possibly not unrelated to the fact that there was a gold rush in several countries. Like there was an expanding supply, even though that could be. You know, I, I mean, I'm not an economist, but it, uh, I, Bitcoin, as it's currently constructed, bothers me. Um, and and cryptographically. Well, and it, and it follows me as well because of the the kind of some of the weaknesses in Bitcoin. Bitcoin was one of the the earlier cryptocurrencies. But coming back to you, Ryan, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is: What do you think is the best uh, cryptocurrency, or are the the better ones out there, and why? And I think I know what you're going to say because I've had a quick look at your Twitter feed, and I, I think you're going to take the line: uh, "Quantity has a quality all of its own." Thing. I, I don't know that line, but I'll give you. I'll just give you my point of view. Um, Right. I do. I do think Bitcoin is the best, and let me explain. Well, what, yeah. what, what I, I guess you were going to say that. <laughs> I'll explain what what I mean by that, because what does that even mean to say it's the best? Um, first of all, at a technical level, I think it's it's very sound. Okay, so first of all, technically, it does deliver on the promise of what it what it is. It's decentralized, peer to peer, digital cash. Um, no one controls the supply; it's controlled by an algorithm uh, with very thoughtful incentives around how humans interact. So the Miners, the people that perform this critical function, are are financially incentivized to do so through uh, 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 getting new Bitcoin uh, as well as transactions. And if the the inflation rate will decrease eventually to zero, in which case the miners will be funded by transaction fees. So I think, first of all, at a at a sort of technical and sort of economic incentive level, I think it is what it claims to be. Um, so that's one reason why it's very strong. Some of the other cryptocurrencies are not necessarily what they claim; they're just like not necessarily technically sound. But some of them are technically sound. As well. So the other, uh, the reason why I think Bitcoin is the best uh, is basically that the Bitcoin economy is so much bigger uh, than all of the other ones that it just seems like uh, you'd have to have a, a far, you have to have, like, the other ones wouldn't just have to be 10% better. They would have to be 10 times better uh, to be worth using and spending your time on and trying to solve problems around. So Bitcoin is so much ahead of the, the curve 
on the cryptocurrency space, uh, that even if it was slightly worse, I would still want to use it because at a, at a sort of social and economic level, it's so much more widely used. There's so much more infrastructure for it. There are exchanges all over the world. Uh, there are many different wallets. The the economic infrastructure around it is ten times bigger uh, than than the next closest competitor, which is Ethereum. Indeed. Uh, so so the line is quantity has a quality all of its own. Uh, yes, I see. Yes, that makes um, sense. But coming back to um, the issues with Bitcoin, Bitcoin is not perfect, is it? And if you could wave a magic wand and improve Bitcoin, where would you focus? Great, great question. So th- there's uh, there are, there are two problems with Bitcoin. Okay? And, you know, I, I'm pretty pro Bitcoin, both because I think it's it's a, sort of the right bet to make, but it's also like actually a bet. I don't really know how the future is going to play out. Um, so and I have to admit, there are two important problems with Bitcoin uh, that I think, you know, make the future very, I don't know, I, I think these problems have to be solved one way or another, or we're going to have a problem. And I think they're solvable. So the two problems are one is, uh, I'll, I would probably say the number one problem right now is scaling. And the number two problem is fungibility. So the scaling problem with Bitcoin, and this is sort of unavoidably technical, I'll just explain it as best I can. Um, Each transaction on Bitcoin is a piece of data with inputs and outputs, and you're sending Bitcoin from some place to some other place. And that's data. And they're like, I don't know, it's like a kilobyte or something for for one transaction, roughly speaking. Um, And the transactions go in the blockchain, and the blockchain is the history of all transactions. And the blockchain grows without bound. Um, Every 10 minutes, there's a new block, it's got new transaction in it. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it never gets any smaller. Um, So this is kind of a storage problem. Uh, and there is early early on in Bitcoin, uh, the developers, uh, I think it was Satoshi Nakamoto himself, the inventor of Bitcoin, noticed there's a problem with uh, uh, DOS attacks that people could just spam the blockchain and fill it up with a bunch of transactions that are just sending money to yourself. Um, and so they placed a cap on the size of a block of one megabyte. And the end result of this cap is that there can only be seven transactions per second or thereabouts and uh, no more. Um, well, that's a problem because like you could never, you could never be like Visa scale, which I forget what the numbers are, but it's a lot more than seven transactions a second. Um, so seven transactions a second is extremely, extremely limited from a from a global monetary point of view. And so this is a problem. Um, and there's no good answer to this because if you simply remove the limit, um, then the blockchain could be so big that only a handful of companies would even be able to afford the hard drives and bandwidth uh, you know, expenses uh, to store it and to deliver it. Um, and it would no longer be decentralized. On the other hand, if it's really, really, really small, as it presently is, it really limits the utility. Um, and so there are there are a bunch of technical solutions to this. And the technology we've developed is an example of a technical solution. We've developed a network of smart contracts that are on top of the blockchain that make most transactions off-chain. Uh, and what that means is basically most transactions are basically free in our system. Uh, but every once in a while, you have to settle on the blockchain, and that has a fee. So we've managed to lower fees uh, in the system to zero, but onboarding and offboarding, or in other words, entering and exiting the system have a fee. So anyway, yeah, I really, really like that idea. It's kind of like um, um, the way that telcos do it in in the United States, the smaller ones. But they have this concept of mutual forgiveness um, where uh, as long as you stay within certain limits, the the traffic that you exchange between networks is zero rated. But as soon as you go outside of that, then you pay. But but, yeah, I'm explaining this very, very badly. I could get really enthused about that idea. So you're you're taking lots of uh, microtransactions uh, within um, the your network, and then um, after a certain amount of time, you have to make a, a settlement, don't you, to to recenter things? Yeah, right, isn't it? Yes. Um, so, but you're but you're keeping your your 
ledger within the yours network, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, there is no, and, I, and I, yeah, it's, it, it would take me a lot longer to explain it in full detail. But yeah, basically what you said is correct. Like there's, you know, the 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 yours micropayment system, um, you know, w- when you're in the system, everything's, you know, the, the, the transaction fees are zero. Um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's trustless. So it is, you're, you're not, it, it's not like we simply have a ledger of everyone's uh, payment. You're actually doing real well, smart. Say, sorry. When you say trustless, what do you mean? Well, so if you put your money in a bank, you're trusting the bank in a number of different ways. You're trusting them that, you know, that they're not going to steal your money. You're trusting them that they are keeping good accounting, that they know what they're doing, that they're competent. You're trusting that they're not going to be hacked. You're trusting the bank. You're placing a huge amount of trust in them. Um, our system is not like that. You don't have you don't have to trust us, or I should say that you you don't have to have very much trust in us. Um, we are not holding everyone's money. You're not sending your money to us. Uh, you still hold your money. Um, so it's trustless in in that sense, um, you're sending money to the other users. Each user holds their own money and sends it to the other users. So the level of trust in our business is much lower. So that's what I mean when I say it's trustless. So you're just being a facilitator to to enable these transactions to, to take place and to record in a ledger somewhere that they take place. Is that right? Yes. Yes, we do. We do record that they have taken place. And I would describe our role as basically a software company. And there are a lot of reasons why we describe ourselves this way. But I mean, basically, we're just writing software that our users are using to manage their own money. Um, and yes, we do record like the transactions that take place so that you can do things like, um, you know, when you pay for a piece of content, our system can do things like provide access to a piece of content if you have paid. So we need a record that the transaction has taken place. But there's no reason why we have to ever hold the money itself. Right. There's some really, really good questions flying up on uh, on the IRC Riot channel at the moment. Um, so, do you want to ask the question? There's, what, there's one other thing I can just briefly say the second problem with Bitcoin. I don't have to explain it in detail if we want to do questions. No, go for it. I'll explain the the second problem with Bitcoin um, is fungibility. Fungibility means one unit of money ought to be the exact same as any other. And this is not the case in Bitcoin. Um, You can track the history of Bitcoin and Bitcoin does not have perfect privacy. Um, So there are various cases where someone has stolen Bitcoin and you can then see who they pay later on if you know, uh, you know, which transactions are the thieves. So it's not as good as cash when it comes to fungibility. And I think this is a problem, you know, like, you know, the government will think this is a good thing that, you know, you can track criminality, but it also just makes it more difficult to manage the money if you have to worry about the full history of the money. Like if someone comes to buy something from you as a business, do you have to worry about whether that person had interacted with a criminal at some time in the past? It places the burden, I think, in the wrong place on the tech stack. It shouldn't be on everyone to police every transaction. Um, that should be at a different layer. And so it just can't function as as, as cash uh, if it if it doesn't have good fungibility. So that is, a, I, th- I consider that a problem with Bitcoin. And there are there are various other projects trying to solve that in, in very in various ways. Um, but those are the two, two problems with Bitcoin, scaling and fungibility. And I think if we don't find good solutions to this, then it's it's going to be, it's going to prevent uh, Bitcoin from, from being a mainstream success. Brilliant. So we've run through a couple of these, these clever questions. Please quick. do, James. Please do. Um, so Jay Carpenter, who, I don't know where you are, Jay. He's somewhere out there. West, United States. Yeah, well, West, USA. Jay's in Arizona, Arizona I think, isn't he? Yeah. Well, Jay wants yeah. to know, uh, what is yours is strategy for user adoption. So how are you going to get people using this? Yeah, good question. So this is a really, of course, it's a very important business question for us. I mean, we have to solve this problem somehow uh, or, or or thing doesn't work. Um, so first of all, uh, my first strategy was something that 
I didn't even do this on purpose, but by just being public about what we're doing, uh, a lot of people like our idea and have found our project and have joined our community. So we have a Slack channel with over 600 people on it. Our mailing list has over 5,000 people on it. So we have a little community already just because we've been public about what we're doing. We've written a few articles and people have found us. Um, But the bigger question is how do we really reach a large mainstream audience? And I think that the fact that we have money built in is a huge asset to it. We can financially incentivize our users to bring in more users. And this is already the case. Like if we simply succeed at building the product we've been describing, which is that if you're a content creator, you can actually earn money on this platform. You're going to be strongly incentivized to bring on more people onto the platform because that means you're going to earn more money. So I think if we actually execute on the vision we're describing, our product will have network. Our users will want to bring in more users. And I think that's the only realistic way we're going to build a big audience is that we have to actually build the thing that we've been describing. And I, I, we've, we've got a prototype, of course, but uh, we, we haven't launched it yet. So I'm not sure we've nailed it yet. But I do think we absolutely have to to have network effect built into the product, our users will earn money and they're going to tell their friends to join because they're going to earn more money if their friends join. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I'm just dropping your uh, link to your select Slack channel in the in the back chat. So um, I'll certainly be joining that and I'm no doubt Andy will as well. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that could be quite interesting. Right, we've got another, yet another question here. And Jay Carpenter is in Phoenix, Arizona apparently. And uh, we were there the other day, weren't we, doing dangerous demos and you didn't pop up, Jay. Shame on you. So his his second question is... I've lost it now. There's so much going on in here. Well, while you're finding that, I should mention that, that Jay has been leading a long-running um, Google Plus chat series called the Phone Word Workshops that have been dealing with blockchain and related uh, processes for oh, must be a couple of years now, Jay. Yeah, good stuff. So I found it now. So Jay would want to know what what sort of government governance model um, you have for yours, or is it engineered in such a way that you don't actually need governments because the the levels of trust are actually quite low? That's a great question. So you know, let me explain my thoughts on this because I don't have like I can't give you the answer, but let me explain the direction that we're moving. I do think that governance of some kind uh, is important. I would just use the word moderation. Um, I think we need moderators, um, and we're we're very inspired by Reddit, and unless we have a good reason to do things differently, we're going to do it like Reddit. The way Reddit works is anybody can make a new community and you own that community. You're the admin, you're the moderator of that community, and you can set the rules. You can decide what type of content is valid on that community. And you can you can delete content and you can remove content if people break the rules. You can also assign new moderators. You can uh, you know assign other people to help you on these moderations. So that's a form of governance. You know, I, I, they don't use the word government on Reddit. They just use the word, you know, moderation. We're going to need the same thing absolutely on yours. And the thing is that it, it, it's it's not easy to answer this question because it really depends on a bunch of subtle details that are not known right now. I think the right way to do it depends on how things play out after we actually launch. Um, but I don't know why we wouldn't do it differently than the way Reddit does uh, with different subcommunities and moderators controlling those different subreddits. Um, th- this is it, it's a good solution because it's it's kind of a market based solution. Like if one community is moderated by someone who does a really really bad job moderating that community, then no one is going to use that community. Uh, people will use the ones that are moderated well. So letting the users do their own like moderation, um, I think you know it it it, it's, it it aligns incentives well and allows the the good the the well moderated communities to succeed. 
So I think that's how we're going to do it. Now, at the end of the day, there still has to be um, the company will will also have to do some moderation. And the best answer I can give to this is like we're very concerned with free speech the same way Reddit is. Uh, we want to make sure we're not banning content just because you say you don't like our company or something like that. There's a really good solution. I'm going to give a shout out to someone named Guillermo Rauch who mentioned this idea to me. Whenever we delete content as the owners of the community, we're going to have a moderation log so that both us as a company and the moderators uh, can be held accountable to what it is that they're deleting so that you can't just whimsically delete things with no recourse. Other people can see what it is that you have deleted um, so that if you're deleting something that uh, you know is sort of political sensitive, like someone says, yours sucks, and we delete that post, you'll be able to see that we've deleted it and hold ourselves accountable to it um, so that we don't have a free speech issue. That we're, Our goal is not to censor things. Our goal is just to moderate the community so that there, is, there isn't a lot of hate on it, that it's a positive, you know, uh, positive feedback. Good stuff. I think, Jay, that answers your question reasonably well. Um, can I ask the, the really obvious question? Um, clearly, um, you're doing this not as a charity. Um, how are you going to generate some revenue off the back of the whole? of this yeah great question we, we so we had a, a originally we had a, bu a bunch of very creative ideas about how to do this i think the best answer is really simple uh, almost certainly on launch day we're going to take a small percentage of the transactions that take place on the site so because the users are sending money to each other um and we're writing the software we're just going to send ourselves you know 20 percent, 10 percent. like if you look at how yeah you raise your eyebrows because it's 20 percent. well you know i think if yeah. if people are actually earning a money on this that's higher than what they would be earning elsewhere. 20% is a lot lower than what many of the other uh uh, social media websites do. YouTube takes, I think it's 45%, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, many of the other uh, sites take a whole lot. If you're a writer for other you know, publications, the percentage can be really high. Um, so 20% is actually on par and is slightly lower than what you would find elsewhere. And whether it's 20% or not is also undecided. But the simple answer is we're just going to take uh, a portion of the payment. Okay, well, I, I, I suspect that probably a uh, sort of sliding model could be better uh, where uh, at the bottom end of the scale, when people are just using it a little bit, they they pay kind of next to nothing. But if you have somebody who's actually making quite a lot from this or generating a lot of revenue, then perhaps the, the, the scale goes up or something like that, something that scales better. But 20%, um, I mean, we're in telco land there. I mean, that's obscenely high, I would say. I think it depends on, you know, wh wh where we're taking the 20%. I think 20% of every single transaction is pretty high. But if we're taking 20% of only the your profit, uh, and there are other transactions that can take place where you're not profiting, so we're not taking 20 percent we're taking zero i think that's another way of looking at it. Hmm. yeah i think you, you could probably make a a really good living with uh um, something like uh, one hundredth of that, I think. Well, we'll see. I, I, I would, I would be happy to do that if that works out. Uh, sort of as a yeah. And remember the your favorite adage, which is quantity has a quality all of its own. Yeah, so, there you go. Uh, and, and and you've got to seed the quantity. You've got to get it going somehow. And if you're taking 20 percent out of the pot uh, uh, at the top, then you'll be dead before you even start because it, it gets too much. Again, coming tracking back a little way, and, and I apologise for not having been here at the beginning. Um, so, but but what um, do you feel? Can people get started without a bit Bitcoin account? So if I'm like, if I just want to create some content and that I think people are interested in, can I accumulate money in your system without associating it with a pre-existing Bitcoin account? And then when it turns into something worthwhile, I think, oh heck, I better better start on this Bitcoin thing because I've already got you know 100 quid's worth of it. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, you know, this is. I think this is a really important uh, property. I think it's a, a requirement 
requirement for us that you shouldn't have to have Bitcoin to get started. So the if you are a content creator on yours, it's not like you have to deposit Bitcoin before you can use it, uh, the, the app. Um, if you just create quality content and you get paid for it, you've just earned Bitcoin, which you can now use to perform the other functions on the app. So you can earn your way in, right? If you're a creator, um, you just create quality content and get paid for it. Now you have Bitcoin. Now your problem is solved. So that's a, that Bitcoin bit. doesn't actually have to leave your site. So if I if if I if I create um, some wonderful recipes um, that a lot of people pay small amount number of Bitcoin for, but then um, I want to buy some of Randy's music and he's got it on that site, then it never necessarily has to leave your site. It could be a. I mean, it's nice that it doesn't have to be a closed economy, but for a lot of people starting up, it could just be a, a closed ecosystem um, yeah, until true. they kind of mass up enough money that they want to go and buy a car with it or something. Absolutely, I think I think that's true. I think that you know, if you're only earning say fifty cents, you know, what are you going to do? Why would you even bother taking that fifty cents? I mean, for some people that may be a meaningful amount of money. There are people where that would be meaningful, but for you know, people in the in in most of the sort of developed world, fifty cents doesn't mean very much. You'll just keep it there, and you can use the fifty cents for other things on the app. So I think for the the de facto end user experience for a lot of people, will it'll feel closed, but not in a bad way. They just don't even bother to try and take the money elsewhere. They just use it on the app, but they can, and there's nothing stopping them from doing so. So there are a couple of interesting places to look as as comparisons for that that are not Bitcoin um, orientated. So if you look at Linden dollars, that was interesting. I mean, it probably isn't anymore, but it was a currency of its own that people traded with real dollars and other currencies, which is kind of fun. Um, and then the other one that I think was um, is interesting and they, 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 it's denominated in dollars is Kiva. So admittedly, I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody ever takes their money out of Kiva. I don't think you can actually. Can you? Oh, no. yeah. Not only can you, but I have. Okay. So, but... Well, there you go. See, I'm wrong on both counts. Yeah. But my, my point being that you, you you carry through your actions on Kiva, recycling that money principally within the system, and then occasionally extract it. But the trick is it's denominated in dollars. And, and I, I, I'm trying to dig, I mean, I know this isn't kind of, this isn't your thing, but I'm kind of trying to dig into to what extent Bitcoin is essential to doing the thing you want to do. Um, you know, it feels to me like you could denominate the thing in dollars or, 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 or you know, your dollars or whatever um, yeah. your sense and 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 provided there was an exit mechanism that people believed was possible you might actually like it might re- very rarely happen and it but doesn't yeah. require that it's bitcoin orientated directly I, this is a direct uh, directly speaking to what you just said you mentioned kiva the fact is that kiva when they started arranged a deal with um, paypal to have transfers for zero commission in both directions so when you deal with kiva you can take your money. You know, I took my put money in, took it out, put it back in, took it out when I needed it. The whole point is you take it out when you need it. But getting back to Bitcoin uh, or getting back to why wouldn't be in dollars, Kiva uses only PayPal and PayPal with zero commission, which is an exceptional deal. Uh, whereas if uh, if yours was going to use dollars or pegged to euros or anything else, pounds, whatever, uh, there would necessarily be a connection with taxation for one thing. And uh, secondly, commission, because somebody's got to change that money somebody's got to process right so unfortunately 
that's why I brought up Lyndon yeah. as well, because yeah. they had exactly yeah. those problems, and presumably yeah. they that either killed them or they solved it. I don't know which it well, was. Well, that and the fact that you know there were like five people who wanted to change sex online, and that was the whole. Oh, there were more model. than that. I well, can tell you. that was the whole model though of second love. Uh, it wasn't a re- so. At some point, I will tell you all about my all right. experiences in second life. <laughs> no, no, but actually possibly not. not right now. Let's get back to Ryan. Ryan, you want to react to what uh, Tim and I just said, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, let, let's see. So there, are, there are the, the, the top reason I would say this isn't a very good answer. It, it is the right answer to your question, but it doesn't, it won't be compelling to you. Uh, it's, it's really better for us as a business to use Bitcoin. It's less, I, I would say, about our users. And there are basically, if you try to sketch out the project that we're building, I think there are two different ways to do it. Um, one way would be the technical way that we are. We are solving the payments problem by writing a bunch of software. Okay? What we are not doing is spending a bunch of time talking with banks or payment processors building partnership. We're just writing software that solves the problem. The Kiva approaches is the exact opposite. They didn't spend any time building a payment system. They just started, they worked with PayPal and pitched PayPal on their idea and was able to get an extraordinary idea uh, deal with PayPal because PayPal found, found Kiva an agreeable product idea. Well, uh, but the actually, probability- there's somebody from the board of, of uh, PayPal is is on the board of Kiva or something. There's some connection there, direct connection. Okay, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not very realistic for us as a business like, or I should say, like, I mean, it's a completely different challenge. Like, if, if the way to get a deal like that with PayPal is to be on their board or have them on our, our board, I mean, that would be that would be very, you know, a complicated social undertaking. I, I, it might be possible, but it would be a very different challenge. So, I mean, basically, you could you could say it's just a philosophical difference. Like, we're going the route of forget about that. Let's just write the software that solves the problem, so we don't have to deal with figuring out how to make a, a business partnership that 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 would work. Okay, can can, can we go back to something? that we touched on very briefly earlier, which is tying in identity and authentication into the payment mechanism. It's an area which is very dear to my heart. I quite like the idea of having very strong authentication and identity. Um, And and note, I would say, oh, identities, because one person can have multiple persona, multiple identities for different purposes. So Tim can have his proper male persona and his female... um, um, On Second Life. Second Life persona. Persona quite happily. Um, it was all about wings for me. Was it wings? Right. Okay. Right. Flying. <laughs> flying was the bean attraction there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can get very infused about um, running the um, the authentication and the identity piece along with the payment piece, um, and then also have relationship for re- relationships for managing things other things like IoT objects as well. This is kind of the area in which my brain is going. So uh, I think that yours has got huge amounts to give in this uh, in this area. Um, um, can you go back and say how you're planning to launch? Because yours is not quite launched yet, has it? I mean, I've signed up. Um, yeah, no. We... But how are you going to do the launch and how are you going to roll it out to the world? Yeah. Okay. So uh, what, what we're doing right now is we, we have our micropayment system working and uh, we had a social product actually, I think maybe eight or nine months ago, and we we realized we needed micropayments, so we had to spend a whole bunch of time making micropayments work. So it took about six months to actually have like a, a sort of you know fully fleshed out proof of concept of the payments actually working, um, or I should say a prototype. And what we're doing now is we, we have sort of two complementary problems. Uh, one is we have to we have to make the micropayments technology more robust. There are a lot of edge cases and, and scaling problems that are very solvable, but we just have to spend more time programming. The other thing is we want to make sure we get the product right. Uh, so what we're doing now is we're 
we're just demoing our product one-on-one with our our users and our so because we haven't launched yet they're not technically users but they're just community members that are interested in their project so we're demoing about two per week right now um, just showing them our product collecting their feedback and, and trying to iterate on the basis of their feedback and only two per week right now because we're still in a very sort of tech heavy phase where we have to fix all these just highly technical problems that have nothing to do with the product at the end of the day um, so we're still doing that the the launch phase is so here it's early December um, you know we're doing these one-on-one tests now I would say that would last let's just say another couple months we could launch what, what we'll really do is as soon as like we're convinced we've solved the last obscure technical problem and our users tell us okay this is good enough then we'll just make it public right so that'll probably be I mean on the basis of it having t- taken about since my co-founder and I started working together in March so it's you know it's between six and nine months something like that to get this far um, I'd give it another probably three months before we could launch something. But even if we did launch in three months, it's going to be somewhat slow and it'll probably take another, probably realistically another six months to refine it before I would feel like it's totally ready. But the, the way I, yeah, so th- th- we look at a lot of, we want to launch as soon as possible. So I wouldn't want it to take another nine months before we launch. Something. So what we'll really launch is something extremely minimal, basically as early as possible. And we'll just put a big beta tag on it so that people understand that, you know, it's not mature yet, but but it's good enough now that you can use it. So that would be pretty soon. I would give it probably a couple months before we've ironed out all these technical edge cases and our users tell us it's good enough. So is your content up there somewhere that's uh, sort of in a private beta state or how, what's, what's happening on that? Not yet. So what we do now is we spool up a new app, every single demo we do. So there's the, the, none of the content is being maintained yet. So in other words, the demo shows how it would work basically. Right. And then the next day, it's kind of like those old uh, content management. There's, there's a site that had like 50 content management systems. You spin one up, play with it. And the next day it's gone. Yes. So that sounds a bit like some of our dangerous demos, actually. One <laughs> yeah, well, next hopefully not. not that dangerous, though. Well, we'll have to we'll have to get into messing with it and give you some feedback. Some of the people here are interested in it. Uh, I, I think it's one of those things where it tells you to put the email and has a little survey asking what you do. I'm not sure I answered all the questions the same way each time, but I'm I'm waiting for the invite and uh, we'll give you some feedback and we'll get into it. And I'm uh, I'm working on lots of things that I think might be interested interesting to uh, associate with that effort. And I know a lot of people who, for example. I know somebody, a couple of people on Reddit who are very serious essayists who might be interested in this kind of thing. So as soon as it's uh, available to see, we'll be into it. Yeah, great. That's good to hear. Yeah. And I think, Ryan, you are to be applauded at uh, taking on something which is so enormous. I mean, the enormity of your, the task that you're undertaking is is massive. And if, if, if anything, you kind of remind me a little bit about of uh, of Matthew Hodgson with his Matrix. Yes, I would, uh, I would yeah, agree. Yeah, the, the, the task that you're undertaking is similar in magnitude. And he did a very very similar sort of thing in that he launched a kind of minimally uh, minimal functionality type uh, system uh, about, well, two years ago now. And uh, yeah. And it continues to evolve. It's going and they're really having a riot with it. <laughs> yeah. In fact, fact, we're using Matrix now. Um, all of our IRC-based back chat is now plug- plugged into the Matrix. That's right. Um, and we have a, 
a riot client, client which gives us a whole load of extra functionality that the IRC just never ever had. So it makes oh, IRC quite usable. It'd be great to have a cryptocurrency bolted into Matrix as well. Well, anyway. maybe we should do an intro for those guys. Uh, let me just remind people, since we're shouting out to Matrix, it's matrix.org. Uh, check that out. It's a very interesting project and uh, there are clients to download and so on. We are talking to Ryan from yours.network. That's the URL. It's funny because I keep track of these things and I didn't even know that there was a .network because there's, what, 250 TLDs now? So uh, that's interesting. Um, so that's the only place you can go right now. Just keep watching that and eventually put your email in there. And uh, sooner or later, you will be advised that things are opened up, right, Ryan? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Anybody else have any finals um, before we ask Ryan if he has anything final and then we push the stop button? Anybody? Well, the only thing that I would I'd like to wish him the very best of luck with his future endeavors, for, for, for sure, it'd be good to see it co uh, coming along. I'm, I'm suspecting we're going to see more things like this um, as, as we go forward. And so many areas now, blockchain is being looked at. And of course, Bitcoin uh, is the, the best known area of blockchain technology. So um, I'm expecting more of these things to come up. Are, are you aware of other projects that may be similar to yourself? Do you have competition out there? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are. There, there's something in the air about this idea. We're definitely not the only project. Um, it, it, starting uh, a year and a half ago when we started this project, specifically, we gradually accumulated a very long list, I think of about 50 projects that are uh, similar in some respect. Uh, most of them haven't launched. They're all most of them are in progress. Some of them have launched. Uh, the, the most uh, sort of successful uh, uh, similar project is something called Steam, S-T-E-E-M. You can go to steamit.com. They're philosophically I would say similar, but different in some very important ways. Um, so technically and at a product level, they're building something different. Um, but but I, I like Steam. I think it's a very interesting example of using blockchain technology and cryptocurrency in a community. So Steam is the closest thing to what we're building. Um, and uh, they have actually, although, although I consider them a competitor, uh, they've actually drawn more interest to our project just because they've sort of uh, proven that something like this can work. And so a lot of people have discovered our project via them uh, because basically they're not perfect and so they have a few problems and so people are looking to us that maybe we can solve problems with Steam. Um, but they're they're definitely the most successful and if you're interested in this space, they're one I would have on the list. There's one other one which is in development that raised a bunch of money. I don't think they've launched yet. Called Scenario. S-Y-N-E-R-E-O. S-Y-N. Yes. E-R-E-O. And uh, they're another blockchain-based one. They, they're, uh, I don't think they've launched, but because they, they raised like $5 million or something like that. So they, they're, I, I would look out for them. They are probably going to be doing something soon, uh, but I don't, I don't think that they uh, have actually launched. Uh, but I would look at that if you're interested in this space. Yeah, well, they seem to be doing all right. Raised $4.7 million in a funding campaign. So uh, there's clearly uh, quite a bit of support for them there. Interesting. One wonders how, uh, what the exact uh, reason that people would want to invest that much money. I don't know. That's interesting. Anyway. Yeah, I'll, give, yeah, let me, uh, yeah just, I'll just say that if you follow this space, actually, there is a trend there where people are, actually, there's there's so much interest that you can raise money doing so. 
It's not, they're not the only ones that raise an eyebrow raising amount of money uh, on the basis of a, a white paper. Well, I guess many years ago, some people were wise enough to buy Apple stock and now they're happy with that. So, and other people bought AOL. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, or Yahoo maybe would be a better example. Uh, or Blackberry. Ryan, thanks. It was great that uh, we hooked up through uh, Jamie King and his excellent podcast, uh, Steal This Show. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing more from you, Ryan. You will keep in touch with us. And if anybody wants to get in touch with Ryan, well, you can think you can just get to the site. But if you need information, you contact us and we will make the intros. And with that, uh, unless there's any old business or new business, we'll go to the mature audiences only segment, which isn't for money or Bitcoin. <laughs> anybody? No? Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. We will see you next week. And I've already forgotten, obviously, who the guest is, but we have somebody. <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSip.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.